0: Right, welcome to this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Chris, Arizona State has five victories it has only had to use three different quarterbacks to get there this <laughs> season. We'll talk a lot about the quarterback situation coming up, but first we have to talk about this ASU-UCLA game that the Sun Devils end up defending their home turf at Sun Devil Stadium with a 23-20 to victory over the Bruins. UCLA with its second conference loss. ASU with its second conference victory. The Sun Devils now tied atop to the Pac-12 South with Colorado and Utah, just as we all expected. Completely according to the script. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, it's just the Pac-12 South has an awful lot of parity other than Arizona. I think anyone can win the division. Uh, USC 0-2 to start. And now maybe is the favorite, possibly. <laughs> I don't know. Colorado may be the favorite. Um, I'd probably say Colorado at this juncture, but last week I thought UCLA, it seems to change on a week-to-week basis. ASU has a chance, obviously. If ASU beats Colorado, then ASU's the favorite. And that's going to be hard when you have a quarterback situation that is as undesirable as you'd probably want it to be at this stage of the process. Um, but yeah, this is, we've seen this a lot in the Pac-12 South carries. We talked about previously, only one time has there been a one-loss team win the South. And there's been times when a five and three team has won the South. And I think that we're headed that direction again this year.
0: So the first thing we have to talk about before we get into the actual game itself, ASU wearing white helmets, gray jerseys, and white pants, This Saturday against the Bruins. Let's talk about that. I I think they call it their desert ice look or something like that. But we have some real issues with this look for a number of reasons.
1: I felt like I was so flustered watching this game. And they wore these uniforms against Notre Dame a few years ago. It was a day game. So I thought, well, maybe it's the glare of the day game. And that's what's causing the difficulty in identifying player numbers in the press box. Well, nope, that wasn't the case uh, (laughs) because during the night game, still from the press box, you couldn't see. Um, I don't prefer to watch the whole game through binoculars because you can't see the full field. So you can identify personnel through the binoculars. You can't identify personnel by watching it without the binoculars because the numbers... They're, it's too similar to the jersey and there's no outline of a border that makes sense and it's shiny matte, whatever you want to call that stuff. I'm not a uniform guy. I don't like really even talking about it too much. But when it hinders your ability to actually do your job and watch the game and convey to people what you're seeing, it makes it tough. Even watching the game on replay for our review piece, you can't tell who's on the field unless you like get a really good angle of the, the uniform. That shouldn't be that, that way. So they, these uniforms, they look good on the field. When, you, when you're when you out there on the field, it, okay, it looks fine. The problem is most people are watching either at home or they're watching from a distance in the stands. And I just know that, like, I didn't know Fred Gamage was on the field a few times. I thought it was Tim White. I thought Tim White had a drop that was actually Fred Gamage. I didn't know until I saw in the binoculars that Tayshawn Smallwood was playing outside versus inside. There's all kinds of details like that that if you really care about the game at a a finer, uh, more nuanced level, you're not going to see. And so my rant is now over, but I'm very displeased by it, and I feel like it threw me off for my postgame analysis, and even right now to some degree.
0: All I can say is thank God. I'm heated. Thank you, Maurice Chandler, for wearing sleeves because we were able to see that ASU started a different boundary cornerback Uh, at different points during the game that's the only
1: that's the only way i knew who joseph wicker is because they were moving joseph wicker
0: around and yeah it wasn't good so let's talk about this game first off today i think it's important that we start with zane gonzalez winning the special teams player of the week for the pac 12 he goes three for three breaks the all-time ncaa field goal record held by dustin hopkins and He kicks a 46-yard field goal in the fourth quarter after a Marcus Ball interception. Actually, I think it was either early fourth or late third quarter that he ended up breaking the record with that 46-yard field goal. But those are not easy kicks to make. ASU just taking it for granted that he's now 16 for 17 this year, one of the all-time greats in college football at the kicking position, and his longevity speaks for itself. But the reason I start with him is because Gonzalez had three field goals, ASU wins by three points, and UCLA misses two field goals and passes up another opportunity for a 52-yard kick. J.J. Molson, the freshman kicker for the Bruins, missed a 49-yarder and a 46-yarder early. Molson nice. And then the Bruins... Do not even take an opportunity to kick from 52 yards; instead, punting away from the to the Sun Devils, and ASU wins the game by three. So that right there highlights the importance of strong special teams play.
1: Well, Gonzalez was probably already been the difference in one game earlier this season, and now two games potentially, uh, coupled with UCLA's inability to kick those longer field goals. Remember, we we go back to camp, and we said, is ASU's special teams going to be the difference in a winner or not this season? It probably was a difference in this game. Yeah. Um, UCLA missed two field goals that typically Zane Gonzalez is going to make because Gonzalez has made 16 out of 17 Mm -hmm. field goals this year, 96-plus percent, best in the Pac-12. He's made three from longer than 50 yards on the season. The 46-yarders at home for him are basically automatic almost, it seems like. And and as you mentioned, uh, UCLA didn't even try to kick a field goal that would have been from about 52 yards Um, also inexplicably threw the ball on the three prior downs first second and third down to not get any yards to put them into better position to get a field goal so I think that's a coaching error but the just the difference in this game because you had Zane Gonzalez made three field goals were two of his field goals from beyond 40 yards or so yeah so there you go there it is it's like the most uh, glaring example of a difference in special teams that enabled ASU to
0: win this game? ASU did some different things defensively this week. We published the article last Thursday that said that Marcus Ball would be starting at Bandit Safety. And for most of the season, Kareem Morris played the boundary cornerback slot, but against Cal a few weeks ago he was lined up one-on-one with Chad Hanson was shadowing him all over the field and ASU did that this week against Kenneth Walker UCLA's best receiver but they also started another cornerback opposite Orr, who hasn't had much playing time yet this season that's due to injuries and that was junior college transfer Maurice Chandler so let's break down the play of these two guys especially early in the game before Orr got hurt ironically on a play where Chandler was the man
1: who hit him. <laughs> that was yeah that was something else uh, Todd Graham was pretty frustrated he went on the field uh, and, and Reese Chandler was like hovering over Kareem Moore saying, you know, are you doing okay? And Kareem Moore was like, man, no, because you just barrel rolled right into me on the field goal that you didn't even block. Uh, looked like it was his right a lower leg, got rolled into Kareem Moore. Well, Kareem Moore had been trailing, as you said, mirroring uh, Kenneth Walker, who's, you know, I guess what ASU believed to be UCLA's best receiver. UCLA throws the ball to like five guys quite a bit. So I don't know if, if I would say that, but um, Kareem Moore had a really nice play to put a finer point on this, where uh, Walker was in the near slot on the field side. You never see Kareem Moore lined up there, and Kareem Moore had good leverage, and he got a deflection on that play, and, but not long after he gets hurt, he gets knocked out of the game, and then they have Maurice Chandler and DeShawn Hayes really going the rest of the way at the cornerback spots outside of a little bit of, of time where apparently Hayes had cramps or wasn't feeling well, and they did a pretty good job. I mean, they had uh, DeShawn Hayes had another missed tackle in space, it should have been about a seven or eight yard completion into the flat. So similar to the Juju Smith-Schuster play that went for a 67-yard touchdown. This one ends up going uh, for a 66-yard play. That's the one where Karan Crump came from behind. He was literally three yards into the backfield. And he went from there to the one-yard line to, to get So So Jamabo down at the one-yard line, former five-star running back prospect. Um and UCLA then isn't able to get a touchdown out of that drive, which is another huge factor. Four in point swing. That's it. So, so there's so many just one play situations or missed things here and there in this game that could have been the difference. That, as much as anything, was. Uh, but there was that. There was that big miss. But other than that, I thought he played really well.
0: Um, and ASU secondary may have had its best game against a Pac-12 opponent. Speaking of that secondary, Marcus Ball named the Pac-12 defensive player of the week today. Ten tackles coming a week after ASU played four different players at the bandit safety position. They used Jamarcus Rhodes to start, followed by i'm uh, blanking on the name right james now. johnson james johnson followed by liam Okiola, followed by chad adams correct and then who ASU. was the
1: starter to begin with this <laughs>
0: exactly. <season. laughs> exactly so asu tries out marcus ball who began his career as a bandit safety but was really technically as a
1: field safety but then he got moved to bandit mm-hmm. but yeah first camp
0: exactly so Marcus Ball is playing spur linebacker this season. Liam obviously the superior option at that spot. He moves back to bandit safety, gets an interception in the second half against Josh Rosen that completely turns the tide of the game back in the favor of the Sun Devils, and that interception set up what turned out to be the game-winning field goal from Zane Gonzalez.
1: Correct, and uh, it wasn't just like Marcus Ball only made that play. He had the most physical tackles probably of the whole team. He had a punishing uh, tackle, that uh, into the boundary on a run play where he just filled up nicely. That was probably the hit of the season for ASU, I would say, at this juncture. Now, he did have a a couple missed tackles, one of which resulted in an explosive play by UCLA. uh, Or actually, I would say the touchdown that UCLA had um, in the third or fourth quarter, fourth quarter, Third quarter? I think so. Well, I'm not sure, but the game, like I said, that's because of the uniforms. I'm just going to blame <laughs> it on that. No, but but there was a an open field tackle that he missed uh, that was taken for a long touchdown on a sh- relatively short pass. Uh, and then, um, but, you know, gosh, the bandit and the field side safety positions have been such problems for ASU this season, as we've talked about over and over. It's like a broken record, but they got... Probably better play there than we've seen to this point in the season. Marcus Ball, you have to imagine is going to stay there moving forward. Todd Graham uh, said uh, in the Monday press conference that the, that the that his that the play was great from Marcus Ball. He also said that he thought Maurice Chandler played well given the circumstances. He said Deshawn Hayes played great, so they were happy. Yeah, they gave up 445, 445, 445 yards passing, 54, 56 attempts, mm-hmm. something like that by Josh Rosen. Um, you're going to give up a lot of yards, not by Josh Rosen, by UCLA, I should say. A, 400 by Josh total, Rosen. Total, right. Um, and the backup threw the ball maybe 11 or 12 times, but um, it, you're rarely going to say that a secondary performance is really good when they give up <laughs> that many yards, And but it actually was pretty decent, and, and relatively speaking,
0: it was clearly better. It it only needed to be decent because the Sun Devils gave up negative one rushing yards on the entire day. Right, but Let's trace things back. So Marcus Ball gets that interception off of Josh Rosen. He clearly wasn't right in the second half. He ends up coming out of the game late in the fourth quarter, was unable to lead UCLA on what was potentially a game-winning or even a game-tying drive. Let's trace this all the way back to the first half where his troubles started. He had a fumble early in the game where Joseph Wicker hit him that didn't cause Rosen a severe amount of pain, but it was a fumble that ended up leading to three ASU points as Wicker hit Rosen in the backfield, then recovered the fumble. And then uh, on the very next series, DJ Calhoun levels Rosen on one of his sacks on Saturday night, and that was really the first of a string of plays where UCLA just hung Rosen out to dry.
1: Well... ASU's tended to have success when it gets sacks, TFLs and turnovers that those are like the barometers by which you judge ASU. And they're also going to give up these big plays. And so that was what happened against UCLA. It was kind of like in the mold of the games when they had much more defensive success earlier in the Tigram era, Josh Rosen's health in this game in and of itself, in my opinion, was the difference. Um, when when uh, they were looking at his right groin or maybe a, a hip flexor, abductor type of an injury, he wasn't able to get his feet set and deliver the football uh, with the same sort of base that he had been. Um, typically, that was pretty much the whole time he was playing every possession on the sideline you had the ucla quarterback coach talking to rosen ask him if he was okay rosen was almost defiantly saying i can be i can get back in there coach it was like a starting pitcher visited by the pitching coach or maybe talking in between innings with his manager about you know how he's feeling and they, they they're gonna trust a guy like that more often than not because he's like kind of your star player and you know it's a big drop down
0: to faffle uh there may not be a bigger drop down in the pack 12 from starter to backup
1: and That's a fifth-year senior, uh, you know, fawful. So, but, but the, so Rosen, the two series that he comes out of the game and the, uh, third quarter mm-hmm. uh he throws it Foffel throws an interception that's a terrible decision early in the quarter taken back by Deshawn hayes to inside the five-yard line the four-yard line mm-hmm. i think it was uh, hayes should have challenged faffle and, <laughs> and or you know try to deliver a blow or something Instead, he gets pushed out of bounds ACU only gets to field goal out of that but that set the tone i think for that half in a really uh a clear way and then Uh, Then they had the uh, three and out and ASU scored after the three and out. Both of those series were, if Rosen's out there, maybe it's a different start to that quarter. I think if Rosen's healthy in the first half, UCLA has 10 points, maybe 13 more points, but he wasn't anywhere near himself. Um, He also had the, you know, like you said, the the couple turnovers, right? Mm -hmm. So man, I just think ASU got to the quarterback, impacted him, knocked him out of the game and generated the turnovers, got the fi- got five sacks, I believe, in the game. Kronk-Krump had two. He's now tied for the Pac-12 lead with five sacks, probably only playing about a quarter of ASU's defensive snaps. And that, as much as anything, is what enabled the, the win for ASU. Plus, as we already said, the differential between ASU's kicker and UCLA.
0: So we mentioned DJ Calhoun, JoJo Wicker with their big hits. You bring up Karan Crump. He has a play early in the second quarter, I believe, where he doesn't get end up sacking Josh Rosen, but he delivers a crushing blow right after Rosen had already gone to the trainer's table and talked with that group. Then Karan Crump hits him, and he needs to go back to the trainer's table.
1: Yeah, I think... Josh Rosen is going to have PTSD from Cron Crump's footsteps behind him because uh, Kron Crump was ultimately the player who knocked Rosen out of the game again at the end on a hit from behind that appeared to affect his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Rosen, by the end of the game, it seemed like he had a litany of things that were bothering him. Um Great performance by Kronkrup, and he was in a three-point stance. They were getting him into a wide nine. He was able to attack uh, UCLA's left tackle, who's a six-foot-eight tackle, and maybe that causes you some problems with being able to get lower and and, and leverage. Uh, ASU had a good approach. They ran some stunts and did some things creatively. They moved Joseph Wicker into a backer alignment a couple times, which I really hadn't seen. They were dropping him. They didn't even as a percentage of their downs, they really didn't actually blitz a lot less, Mm -hmm. less watching the game back than I thought live. There was quite a bit of, especially against Fawful. There was quite a bit of dropping eight and playing some zone coverages and seeing if they could uh, get an interception. Um, I thought it was a, if it was a good game plan again by Keith Patterson, they've been limited by their defensive personnel at a couple of those spots,
0: Carrie, but,
1: you know, 5-1. I don't even know. How is ASU 5-1? <laughs> and one?
0: Uh, Who knows? We'll, we'll get we'll get into that more when we talk about the quarterbacks. But the final player that I want to talk about on the defensive side I of the ball. I am bemused by all this. <laughs> is Renel Wren because he also had a devastating sack of Josh Rosen where he just blows through Lacey, the left guard for UCLA. It's on the Sun Devil Source Twitter account. Check that out because Renel Wren shows off all of his potential on a sack where he devours Rosen in the backfield.
1: This guy is... Football alarm clock has it went off, and it's it's blaring right now. Um, the th- one of the things I took from Renell Wren in this game was he was operating from a four point stance. When they move Rennell Wren inside as a defensive tackle, leverage has been his issue: Pat, being pad level, being low, having a, having a good get off. So what you do by putting him into a four point stance, you exaggerate what the, the get off is going to be very violent, powerful physical football player who has the type of length that you want at that position. He was just jarring uh, UCLA's interior offensive lineman back time after time. Uh, the one sack that he had of Josh Rosen, he he pushed Kenny Lacey, a former Mountain Point uh, prospect, and one of UCLA's more veteran uh, offensive lineman, a, a multi-year starter at left guard, a fourth-year junior, pushed him back literally like he was on roller skates for five yards into the backfield, released off of him, and just dove on the back of Rosen. And that's also not going to feel too good when a <laughs> 300-pounder lands on you. Rosen kind of almost lost the football but was able to bring it back in. We also saw Renell Wren have a nice tip at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. We read it nicely. There was a handful of plays that showed that this guy's – is making the progress and that's what enabled uh asu todd graham keith patterson to think about well maybe because we had some problems with anchoring on the outside against the run versus ucla we could kick Tayshawn smallwood out there he's going to be able to help you do that but then also he's a good pass rusher and has some foot quickness that was a smart savvy decision by the asu's coaching staff so they're they're figuring it out and and Christian Sam hasn't played, and Salamofizo missed the first three games, and you've just had a you know a number of things that haven't really gone as well as you probably would have hoped if you're the coaching staff. But they're 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 figuring it out. Yeah, they have the worst passing defense in the history of college Gosh, football, and you know it's probably gonna continue. It's probably gonna be end up the worst, even though it may get a little better as they play some of these other teams. But I don't know. But they but. We gotta look this up. Who is five and one and giving up 400 yards passing? Well, we know ever. That we nobody
0: well, because no one ever has given up 500 yards passing. Well, m- maybe they have been passing. after five or six That's games true. of the season. That's true. We don't know that. We need to look up Cal 2014. The current record holder is at 366 yards per game. ASU right now giving up 404 yards per game through the air just jarring but the final note i want to make on the first and first and run defense, (laughs) first and run defense final note i want to make ucla coach jim mora was beside himself after the game if you listened to or watched his press conference that's not that uncommon (laughs) that's true but the way that ucla protected josh rosen was disturbing to jim mora disturbing to probably every bruins fan who watched that game and ucla's complete lack of ability to run the ball significantly impacted the outcome of the game. The Bruins had nothing going in the running game to the point where in the second half, they didn't even try. 31 of their final 32 plays were pass attempts against the Sun Devils, and it wasn't like they were coming from behind. This was a close game. They didn't need to pass the ball, per se. They were forced to pass the ball because they couldn't get anything going.
1: So they switched to this pro-style offense, and they're trying to play with more two and three tight end sets, but yet they don't have the ability to, to block you. They, there was nothing that was really outside the tackle box that worked as far as a run play. Um, anytime they did try to kick it out, it would be like going to where Hayes was where there was nobody blocking him, and he would just make the yeah, tackle easily. That was kind of bizarre that ASU's
0: cornerbacks had a pretty good
1: game and run support. Correct. Um, they had more just breakdowns, communication errors, guys slipping through them. Uh, you have to say Adrian Clem, the UCLA offensive line coach who's known for his recruiting not getting it done there as far as not being an offensive line coach this is a a, a lingering problem that um, is a is a malignancy I, I would say at this stage of the process and, and it becomes even more glaring when you go to a, a scheme where you're even more reliant on your offensive line, protecting and establishing the run and giving you the play-action capability, it like almost highlighted a blemish that they have in their program in a way that probably is going to end up having to be addressed. It's like, yeah, you want the recruiting that Clem gives you, but then again, are there, is their talent all that great right now? Not on offense. On offense, other than Josh Rosen, their talent is very average. Eyeball test. We did it this week. ASU was neck and neck with UCLA. So I think they're going to have to continue to make some other adjustments there.
0: All right. Time to flip to the other side of the ball. And the main storyline for ASU this week and really moving forward is the quarterback position. Manny Wilkins unable to play against UCLA because of an ankle injury suffered against USC. Brady White gets the start for the Sun Devils. Starts out 5 of 7, but then goes through a really rough second quarter. Really had some growing pains there. 3 of 11, I believe, in the second quarter. Just did not look in sync with his receivers. Comes back in the third quarter and ends up engineering an offense that scores 17 points in that frame. Looks pretty good and is starting to get things going. Even on the final drive that he had of the game, he had a number of good passes. We were down on the field for that where he He threaded the needle to Tim White, got the ball over to Nikhil Harry. He was starting to spread the ball around, really looked in sync, and then he scrambles around in the fourth quarter, ball on around the 10-yard line, and is sacked and has an injury that ultimately looked like a foot injury that is season-ending, Todd Graham announced today. So Brady White is now out for the year. Bryce Perkins, Todd Graham said, it's unlikely that he'll play this year. He's not sure yet, but it is unlikely he'll play. Manny Wilkins still recovering from that ankle injury, so it could be Dylan Sterling Cole, the true freshman who f- was featured in the latest rendition of Burning Man Cole as World. he had his red shirt burned in the fourth quarter <laughs> of that game. Dylan Sterling Cole, Chris. Didn't expect it.
1: Uh, n- can't really expect that something like that to happen where you have three scholarship quarterbacks injured in a season in a span of two months. Yeah. Almost exactly two months since uh, the injury to Bryce Perkins. Um, I thought Brady White had some really good moments, especially as things settled down and as his receivers kind of helped him out a little bit better because he he did have a couple throws that were dropped. The Tim White fade in the first quarter might have helped get him going and and was a a flat drop there was a drop by Fred Gamage. there was a drop by Nikhil Harry Um, there was another drop by Tim White so I think there was four drops maybe five in the game Um, but yeah Brady White was he was shaky through spurts for sure Made some throws that you can't down the field where the safety was able to come over. One of them was intercepted. There were a couple others that could have been if they weren't out of bounds or or knocked down. One to Cam Smith for sure. Um he's a young quarterback. He's learning. Uh what I what I didn't see from him, though, I didn't see like the ball sewn directly to linebackers underneath in, in coverage. There was one play where where he had that hesitant RPO, it kind of hitched, and then he delivered it, and the ball went sailing by the over the shoulder of a linebacker. That was that was a jeopardy throw, but um, I think ASU's offensive coordinator, something that we've talked about in in uh, after wrap ups of earlier games this year, maybe not enough commitment to the run game in the first half, mm-hmm. and then we see in the second half they come back, they run these power type plays where they were pulling they're both a left guard, left tackle to the right or the right guard, right tackle to the left. And Demario Richard had like three runs where he was able to get some, a couple explosive runs. And then the touchdown run was also that play on a big drive. They're probably their longest, best sustained drive. 75 yard drive. Yeah, that was a very good drive. And, um, then they got two other field goals uh, in that in that quarter where he made a couple nice throws. There was one definitely to Tim White on a fade that was kind of from the slot. There was a Jalen Harvey in cut for about 16 yards that was against the zone or was in between the, the underneath and the top level of the zone. The Nikhil Harry touchdown throw was a really good pass, I would say, even though he kind of he did telegraph it and stare that down. He got into a rhythm. The run game helped him get into a rhythm. They kind of probably figured out some of what UCLA was doing and that helped Chip Lindsey to some degree. A lot of run replacements and things right out of the gate again in this game. Some of it worked, some of it not so good. Um, But, again, it's like
0: uh, they've, you know, they've,
1: that they're Now they're going to put Jones, Sterling, Cole out there. I have no idea
0: what to expect. Yeah, now Brady White leaves the conversation after being such a factor. And even when Manny Wilkins was healthy for the first four games of the season, Brady White was still in the back of everyone's minds because people did think that the quarterback comp- competition was close and both players so young, we expected it to be the outset of the season for ASU to even consider giving both Wilkins and White reps at the beginning of the year. We thought that might be the thing to do because – This wasn't perceived as a season where ASU was going to threaten for the Pac-12 South, although now we're six weeks in and the Sun Devils are in great position to do so, and they've exhausted their quarterback depth, ironically.
1: Well, think of it like this. So Brady White, 19 of 36, 179 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Those are pedestrian numbers, but what if Tim White catches a 40-yard pass Mm -hmm. down the field? What if uh, the Fred Gamage coming across on a third down is, is caught. It's a little bit behind him, but he probably gets a first down. Then you're moving some more. Uh, there was another Tim White drop, like I said, the to kill Harry. Well, may, maybe Brady White all of a sudden is 23 or 24 out of 36. Maybe he has one more touchdown throw. This is against a UCLA defense and a secondary in particular that is really good, in my opinion, the best that ASU's seen this mm-hmm. season.
0: To o- date. Overall. May- maybe they'll face their best this weekend.
1: Right. I mean, Adoree Jackson's a great player, but was the USC secondary better than UCLA? I would say no. Uh, Colorado is right there neck and neck with UCLA as the, the, the best defense, especially in that back seven uh, structurally. Um, but was Brady White's performance... Based upon what we saw from him and who the who the competition was, compared to what we've seen from Manny Wilkins against much lesser defenses to this point in the season, was it a significant step down? I would say no. Uh, maybe, maybe a slight edge to Manny Wilkins. Who's the better quarterback prospect long term? That to me is a very much an open question. But now it doesn't. It's kind of moot, obviously, mm-hmm. because Brady White's got a got a, a a serious injury that is going to force him to miss the rest of the season. Manny Wilkins, Todd Graham said that they're hopeful that they'll be able to have him, or they believe that they're going to be able to have him fully
0: intend. Fully intend.
1: Good. I want to use the exact quote: "Fully intend to have him for Saturday against Colorado." The plan is to get him practicing in full on Thursday. Um, It's a high ankle sprain. That that was said on the broadcast. I was able to confirm that that's a high ankle sprain. Guys do not typically play after two weeks with a high ankle sprain. That is a four to six week injury. Even if you're doing really well, that's a four week type of an injury. Usually more like six. We've already seen Christian Sam, high ankle sprain, first game of the season against NAU. He's missed the next five games and he still is walking around like he's not going to be playing uh, this week. I don't know that for sure. We're going to find out at practice, but dylan sterling cole might start his first game uh doug tamro does a really good job with some of these factoids and stuff that we get from asu media relations uh this would be only the second time since 2000 that asu started three quarterbacks in a season if sterling cole gets the thought What, what do you think about asu's prospects if dylan sterling cole has to start and what do they try to do to put him in the best position on the
0: road You run the ball on first and second down every time. Okay. (laughs) And then... That was pretty emphatic. Yeah. Well, I mean, Colorado's got a great secondary. Chidobe Awuzie, Tedrick Thompson, Isaiah Oliver's doing a great job at cornerback for them. He's a brophy prospect. I mean, you look at Colorado's secondary, and those guys are experienced. They've done such a great job. Todd Graham praised Mike McCarthy, or Mike McIntyre, excuse me, uh, in his press conference today. Thinks he's one of the top coaches in the entire Pac-12. So you have to run the ball. You give DeMario Richard the ball early. You do run replacements when you throw. You get Dylan Sterling Cole throwing the ball to Tim White early and often, just as Chip Lindsey did with Brady White in this last game. And you really probably have to abandon those down-the-field shots that ASU took with Brady White, even if it's a take-what-the-defense-gives-you type of offense. And we know Chip Lindsey to be that type of coordinator every quarter is that way. You just have to be so committed to the run game in this. And I almost think it's one of those games where Todd Graham loves to have a lot of plays. He loves to run 85, 90 plays, tire out the opposing defense. I think you go with the strategy of shrinking the game. You run the play clock down, and that gives your defense the opportunity to rest. Because, let's face it, ASU will, will go three and out. That's for certain. So you take up the play clock, you run the ball on first and second down, And you hope that your defense can create a lot of pressure in a game where Sefa Lufau might be making his first start back from injury, or Steven Montez, who I think is an outstanding-looking young quarterback. (laughs) He's just as good, maybe. He will throw it into zone coverage. He will do that. So you kind of play the defense that they played against UCLA and hope for the best because you're on
1: the road. So we're talking about a defense that is just a little bit better than UCLA statistically. In terms of passing defense, total defense, scoring defense, really only trailing Washington's defense.
0: Keep in mind that scoring defense is better than UCLA's, and they gave up 45 to Michigan.
1: There you go. So, but scoring defense, Colorado's given up 20.7 points per game, UCLA 22.5, total defense. Colorado 331.8, just about 15 yards behind Washington and better by 10 than UCLA. And um, the passing defense is second behind only Washington, 188 yards per game. So So what's that with the
0: rushing defense? Is that 150 per game?
1: 160. uh, Their rushing defense is... um, 146.8, one forty six point eight. Pardon me. Which is which is sixth in the league. That might be where they're vulnerable. I don't think Colorado anchors
0: as well at the point of attack.
1: And they're not. They're not going to be as as big and as physically imposing as the USC, UCLA, Washington type of a team. Even probably Utah. Yeah. Uh, right. And so, but what I would say with, with Sterling Cole is, you're not going to take a bunch of chances. Even when he has to throw the football, it's going to be really conservative, run-replacement type things, their goal is going to be, try, let's see if we can try to get three or four yards on this first down play. Let's see if we can try to get three or four yards on this second down play. If they're not doing that, then you run the risk of jeopardy throws and him taking hits and things that just put you into a bad situation. And avoiding some negative plays and just trying to eke out a little bit of good positive yardage on first and second down, that's probably the way to go. Uh, Kalen Belash hasn't really done a lot for ASU in, in the last couple of weeks. Demario Richard, who Todd Graham called a stabilizer, mm-hmm. a warrior, a warrior is really important. Those guys are really important, and this and this is a game where you challenge your offensive line and your tight ends. We need you. We're going up. We're going up there. It's a road environment. If we can somehow get away with the win. And we get Manny Wilkins back the following week against Washington State, perhaps. Assuming he doesn't play against Colorado, which we don't know. Um, The ASU's is in the, the driver's seat, maybe, at that point. So this is a huge game. Can we just get our flight early?
0: And- <laughs> we do have an early flight.
1: We have an early flight on Friday, but I'm thinking, like, is there a way that we can get up there and just do all of our podcasts uh, from from downtown Boulder? Oh. A, a different pub? Every- <laughs> we're trying
0: every single place there if we're doing that. Gosh. I mean, Boulder's great.
1: Yeah, we're looking forward, <laughs> we're looking forward to this. We're going to have so much content coming up this week. It's going to be crazy.
0: Theoretical situation here for you Chris and I'm throwing it out because I think it's a very real possibility I'm thinking about Pearl Street I, <laughs> my head, my mind not beyond this Manny Wilkins at 75% or Dylan Sterling Cole who do you start remember Sterling Cole's red shirt's already burned
1: that sound that you didn't hear is my head hitting the microphone <laughs> um, the, the, the problem with this is Manny Wilkins needs to be able to escape the pocket to have success. He's not a comfortable quarterback when he's forced to sit in the pocket and and throw the football. His mobility is not going to be like a normal Manny Wilkins mobility. Not probably even close to that if he plays. So I, I still, with that being a caveat, probably start him. But I pull him quickly. Yeah. If I don't like the way it's looking out there, and I and I and you have to prepare Dylan Sterling Cole, so I probably start Wilkins, but with a quick hook. If that's not looking right, and then you gotta just go with whatever you, you you put in for your package
0: for Sterling Cole. I start Sterling Cole, and here's why: the Pac-12 South right now is a complete toss-up. If Manny Wilkins goes up to Colorado in a game that is going to be a struggle to win anyway remember road teams fare really poorly in the Pac-12 and Manny Wilkins gets more injured gets that ankle rolled up on again maybe you miss him for Washington State maybe you miss him for Oregon which are completely winnable games in the following two weeks you need Manny Wilkins to be healthy down the stretch because he's got so many winnable games I think you take Dylan Sterling Cole and as crazy as it sounds even if you think you're gonna lose you might just do it cool to preserve story. Manny Wilkins. Cool story, bro. No one wants to do that.
1: No, but um, I think we can agree that ASU is about a 99.9% chance to
0: lose at Washington. Yeah, yeah. And That's so, a third loss. And, so you win the rest of them. You're 6-3. and three. You've got a win over UCLA. Are you going to
1: beat a tiebreaker on... You don't have a tiebreaker on USC. You don't have a tiebreaker on Colorado, when you're five and you're 5-3. and Yeah, USC wins that tiebreaker if everyone's 6-3. and three uh yeah six and three so yeah so i so i, I <laughs> it is I a tough position you know it's like you know choosing between two bad fates um really <laughs> you know when, 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 an injured manny wilkins is is a bad situation at quarterback and a freshman sterling cole is a bad situation at quarterback when you're going to play on the road at colorado and and this isn't to say that sterling cole isn't a really Good potential quarterback as he is. Yeah. But who, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a, you're not going to be able to go out there and be, have a great game or anything in this type of a setting. Yeah.
0: So, Jalen Hurts starting for Alabama, number one team in the country. Shane Bouchel starting for Texas. They've been ranked. Doesn't look good right now for Texas, but it's their defense that's the issue. Jacob Eason starting for Georgia. They've been ranked. Yeah. They just came up with a big win over the weekend, even though Eason hasn't had great stats. There are freshmen in this country doing it, and Sterling Cole was highly touted, 16th ranked quarterback overall in the class of 2016. Are you calling it? I think you start Sterling Cole. I think
1: I don't know. No, are you saying that he's going to go out there and have a play like gangbusters? And... Oh, not at all. Okay.
0: <laughs> not at all. Okay, you kind of, you kind of. <laughs> I, I, I'm, sa- I'm saying that freshmen have done it, so it sure. wouldn't surprise me.
1: They have, but, but but usually the guys who have were being developed. Groomed. From to, the start. To be that yes, from the start. And yes. Sterling Cole, was he, at, was he at ASU in the spring? No. No. Was he getting first, second, or third team reps in, Not in, in, in camp? Not at all. Zero. So that's the challenge. Yes. It, it, those other teams that you mentioned, they all knew what they had with their yes. situation, and they were getting those guys ready right away. That's a big difference. So anything is possible, but just don't get your hopes up too
0: high. Okay. And just to keep in mind, if Wilkins can't go and Sterling Cole starts – ASU's backups become Jack Smith or Mountain Point quarterback, and Colton Gerhardt is the emergency option. I think we'll see a lot of sparky formation if that's the case.
1: Um, I would play Jack Smith, I, and the reason I say that is because you're going to have to try to just hand the ball off and have some success throwing the ball quickly from the pocket. Uh, I, from, with with Gerhardt, I know he was recruited, and then he got an opportunity to play quarterback. He's a run spread type of a quarterback and he didn't have any success in practices uh, operating from the pocket and that that's something you need to have from the ASU offense so if Jack Smith plays then you know Katie bar the door or whatever
0: that phrase is. <laughs> okay got to wrap things up here soon that's it for our ASU UCLA talk let's talk Pac-12 South Pac-12 overall looking at the games from this weekend Colorado USC we both watched that one USC USC Won the turnover battle, I believe, 21-17. They end up winning that game. Colorado kept it close, but Sam Darnold looks good. He looks like he'll have USC back in contention in a shorter time than we expected.
1: Really good. He's much more in the mold of the types of quarterbacks that we've seen historically be really successful at USC. That guy's going to have a great career. I think finally things are settling in there with Clancy Pendergast. They found their mojo more pressure-oriented. They held Colorado scoreless in the first half, I believe, mm-hmm. 14-0, or at least it was through most of the second quarter, if not halftime. Colorado did a good job rebounding, had a trick
0: play. That oh, got... that Bryce Bobo left-handed pass. That was awesome. That was sick. Yeah, I love those kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a great throw, too.
1: Yeah, like draw them up on a napkin or something. Yeah. But, um, no, that was, that, was, that was cool, but i think usc probably now is the favorite again in the pac-12 south just given you got josh rosen who's hurt ucla's offense is looking very shaky um asu situation with its quarterback uh usc already beat colorado you know utah has got some serious injury problems which we'll probably get into here um it's a mess
0: yeah other Pac-12 South game going on last weekend, Utah 36, Arizona 23 in the battle of the 7th-string se- running backs in
1: that <laughs> one. Um, and they're, I think they should get one or two of their guys back this week, actually, apparently. yeah. Um, but that's not where their strength of their team is anyways. That They're a, a ball control, strong O-line, D-line, structurally sound. Yeah, they've had a couple, you know, Booker and some other guys that have been really great in the past Um they have a um, who's their their standard running uh, wide receiver uh, he's a good player what I can't think of his name right now sorry but um yeah i just think they're going to be in a lot of close games and they're yeah. probably going to lose they're just probably going to lose a couple more close games i don't see utah winning at asu on a thursday night i doubt it yeah asu's just too good at home i doubt it but you know somehow in a multi team 6 and 3 5 and 4 scenario maybe yeah
0: Crazy results up in the Pac 12 North this weekend. Holy uh, cow. Washington State 42, Stanford 16. How the mighty have fallen.
1: Like, that is mind blowing
0: <laughs> stuff. You know what,
1: what really struck me after that game was watching um, Helfrich in the press conference. Oh, this is Washington State. Oh, my bad. Sorry, yeah. I jumped in the head.
0: No, that's, that's the biggest blowout. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: No Washington State, Mike Leach, he's back to <laughs> back to liking everything about the the millennials. <laughs> <laughs> their their relationship is once again strong. This is this is their M.O. Right? Washington State, last year loses to a FCS team, this year loses to an FCS team. Uh, yeah, Mike Leach comes out and like laments on a 20-minute rant about you know the nature of youth, <laughs> 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 and then and then their team like gets better. The rise board is rising again Carrie. Yeah. it's and amazing I, I don't know i mean stanford is awful like who would have ever thought that like at the beginning of the season right you're looking at the north and you're thinking hmm is it washington is it oregon is it stanford it's kind of jumbled it's, it's, no it's not close at all stanford is terrible oregon is terrible it's How all about the apple cup now i, I want to like you know I'm jumping around a little bit here. How was Stanford ranked 15th in the country prior to that loss to Washington State? There's too much name ID and your historical success that's that's baked into these, these rankings as opposed to what a team actually is. Because even before this game, you look at their quarterback play and you look at their skill positions at Stanford and you say – they, 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 Their offensive line isn't nearly as good as it's been in the past. No. They're just not that good. They're not a top twenty-five football team. Everybody should have known that. And then they go and lose to Washington State, which wasn't necessarily all that surprising.
0: At home, Mike Leach said it was not particularly loud at Stanford, but he did like the music. Stanford has a great music. They structure. have good. There they have very did. good millennials at Stanford <laughs> in the student <laughs> section. That's a, yes, very classy. That's what he liked. So, uh, the other pac twelve North surprise Oregon State forty seven Cal forty four Gary Anderson gets his first, first Pac twelve win. I mean, you Even might know need... if there's much to talk about from that game.
1: Like, like if you're Cal's coaching staff and you lose that game, like, do you need antidepressants?
0: That's yeah. Does Cal make a bowl now? Three and three.
1: It's gonna be. Uh, it's. I don't know. I gotta look at the rest of their schedule, but. It's you know again. It's a five hundred type football team, and the defense is terrible. Yeah, and that again that shows you what ASU di- did against Cal. No big deal, yeah. you know, against that defense. But that's embarrassing. Sunny Dykes <laughs> and those guys. I mean, that's just I would be humiliated. Oregon say it's terrible, really bad, terrible. Yeah, they one of the maybe the worst team that we've seen in the Pac twelve last year and this year, like over a two year stretch. Yeah. In a long time.
0: They're just awful. <laughs> Final note, congratulations to the Pac-12 champions, Washington, on defeating Oregon 70-21. to 21. Sharpie. Yeah.
1: That is a Sharpie.
0: <laughs> like, when the guy, who who was the, the coach who said that he'd bet his he bet Portland his, State. Portland State the head Portland coach. Portland State head coach. I hope he got good odds on that. When said he said he would mortgage his house to on bet. Washington winning the national title.
1: Now, I still think that's kind of, that's, pretty speculative but washington now has at least a 50 50 chance going undefeated in the regular season heading into the pac-12 south title game who's gonna probably beat washington in the south i don't know maybe
0: usc can do it maybe they have
1: the they have, they have the athleticism to do it um when is the last time that we've ever seen a team at the midway point of the season first in the conference in scoring offense and first in scoring defense that's what Washington it has is has to be
0: like—a Harbaugh Stanford team,
1: something like that. You yeah. know, or may, I don't know, maybe maybe Pete Carroll USC one yeah. year the national championship. Other than that, it just doesn't happen. There was like a lot of talk about, hey, you know, Chris Peterson—he's overrated. Uh, you know, no, he is really good, <laughs> and their team is fantastic.
0: They don't rush more than four ever. And,
1: and now I can make my point about uh, Helfrich and the Oregon. Oh yeah, press conference. Yeah. He was sitting there talking about the game as if he was describing like like a three point loss, yeah, dude, you gave up seventy <laughs> points easily to a in division
0: foe at Oregon that you've beaten twelve years in a row, and you're wearing these,
1: these they wore the g- cal Cal uniforms because the-
0: that's the type of defense they played. <laughs>
1: yeah that's exactly what happened they, they it's embarrassing you're you're not humiliated to wear these uniforms. They don't even have your own colors and their throwbacks, and you got this whole Oregon mystique thing as you give up seventy something points and then you gotta sit and talk about that like that's that's humiliating bro like <laughs> i just i mean they're defense. like they make they make the, the change to brady Hoke and they and they they're get even worse defensively. Yeah. I don't understand how Oregon has to play a freshman
0: quarterback. It's Oregon. Yeah. And he's their second option. Very disappointing, Oregon. <laughs> well, that, that'll that do it. That, that's just the perfect way to end the show. That's terrible. <laughs> Oregon, 0-3 in the Pac-12, 2-4 overall. The Sun Devils travel up there on, uh, I believe, October 29th. 29th yes get, looking forward to that one it yeah, could be the f- 11 a.m game on pac-12 network i'm gonna love well.
1: flying back from that game on my birthday the, ne- the day <laughs> the day
0: later the nice travel day can't wait for it all right that'll do it asu five and one somehow some way and they're headed to colorado with either a Somewhat healthy Manny Wilkins or a true freshman, Dylan Sterling Cole? Does ASU make bowl eligibility? Does anything stop ASU from winning the Pac-12 at this point? I don't know. Okay. I, they, they
1: they could either not go to a bowl game or they could just like win the rest of their games.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know.
1: Stay with us, though. We're going to keep talking about <laughs>
0: Every it. Every episode, we'll have more on ASU's and, quest for bowl eligibility and their quest for the college football playoff. And a premium pod. A lot more on Colorado yes. coming up later in the week. Great stuff on Mike McIntyre and the Buffaloes. For Sun Devil Source publisher, Chris Cartman, I'm your host and editor, Kerry Crowley. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Sun Devil Source Report this week.